Nature gives you the face you have at 20. Life shapes the face you have at 30. But at 50, you get the face you deserve. Coco Chanel, who is supposed to have said this, may or may not have been aware of a similar quote by George Orwell. Both of them are voicing something that we all intuit. I mean, it's funny because it's true in a way. The face reveals the soul, the history of the person. As Pope St. John Paul II put it, the body itself is the sacrament of the person. So there's something about the entire body of a person that communicates the reality inside. I was struck recently by another quote, very similar to these quotes, the great French sculptor Auguste Rodin, responding to criticisms that his portraits were too lifelike, said that the face reveals a whole world inside each person. And the artist's job was to render this. One suspects that those who objected to his portraits were a bit uncomfortable having their inner worlds fixed in bronze in perpetuity. But Rodin actually deepens the insight of Orwell and Coco Chanel. The drama of a human life makes itself known in our bodies, and yet Rodin goes further and insists that this is true for everyone, that there is a person behind every face that I encounter. And this person is human like me, with aspirations, disappointments, struggles, successes, ambivalences, all those traits that make us human. This past week, I was visiting New York City, and after meeting a benefactor in the New Jersey suburbs, I took the rush hour subway back to the parish where I was staying. Uh, It was uh, astonishingly crowded. It was rush hour, and it's intimidating to see all those people, to see all those faces, even though I'm a big city person. It's tempting to reduce them to a crowd or even a mob in my own imagination, a kind of faceless entity. So many faces, I can't keep track of them all after, after all. It's tempting to do this because it's easy. We don't have to think about it then. We don't have to concern ourselves with the individuals in that group. And to remind ourselves of the personhood of each of those thousands of persons on the subway, millions of people in our city, billions of faces on the planet today, it's demanding. It's also humbling. So I'm only one of those persons. You know, my, my world seems to be pretty important to me, but that's true for everyone I meet. It takes a kind of determination, a decision, to bear in mind Every one of these persons is a world unto herself or himself. And that this person before me is already, or potentially, my brother or sister for all eternity. That's our hope, is that all will be saved. We'll spend eternity with each other. Under the right circumstances, my life would be greatly enriched by exposure to that hidden inner world behind that face I see. I just happen not to have had the opportunity yet to know him or her. And that this enrichment that I might 
uh, gain from this person might challenge me, might challenge my present ideas about the world, making space for another person in my life, in my imagination, might just require me to question my own presumptions about the world, to renounce my personal preferences in certain instances, to let go of easy generalizations about people. Another place that's tempting to make easy generalizations is the world of politics. We all know this. And here there is an even greater danger because we can identify others by labels, put them into groups, and then dismiss entire groups of people as enemies, political enemies. This is a disturbing trend, I think, in our world today, to lump huge numbers of my fellow citizens into facile categories, Democrat, Republican, liberal, conservative, Trump supporter, socialist, whatever it is. Now, in saying this, I don't mean to say that these labels mean nothing at all. You know, they do. But they come to take the place of identifying others as individuals, as human beings. So we can easily kind of put a bunch of people into a group and we don't have to think about their worlds anymore. We can just assume we know what they think already because they, well, they must think this because they're part of that group. So I reduce them to a glib classification and excuse myself from the work of treating them as human beings the way I would like to be treated. All the more is this dangerous today because we exclude opinions that we don't like. We don't feel like we have to talk to those people. It's really astonishing. Um, you know, being a clergy person, I, I end up talking to all kinds of persons. And one of my befuddlements is how do you get people on either side of the political spectrum actually just to talk to each other, just to actually listen and, and take seriously that the other person might not be a terrible person just because he or she happens to disagree with me on politics. And, and that they might not be stupid even. <laughs> and they might have actual principled reasons for believing what they believe, even if they're wrong. But I can't get there until I at least treat them as a human person like myself. So we exclude opinions. We're not exposed to opinions that are different than our own. Uh, we can do this very easily on the Internet. We only have to go to the sites that tell us things we want to hear. And we're tempted to excuse this ignorance by labeling those who disagree as political enemies. I don't have to listen to that. Oh, I, I've, I've already, I already know what they're going to say, is usually what I hear. I, you know, I, don't know I, I know what that means. Love your enemies and pray for your persecutors. We Christians should be at the forefront of the world of reconciliation. Ambassadors for Christ... Christ who reconciled the world to himself and broke down the dividing walls between labels. In Christ, Jew and Greek, slave and free, male and female, these are no longer categories to which we can appeal to dismiss or even demonize others or insulate ourselves. This means that Christians, by the command of love, must resist all identity politics. This doesn't mean denying our uniqueness. I don't mean to say that either. Nor does it mean denying the inheritance that we owe to our nations, 
our ethnic groups, our neighborhoods, or whatever groups we belong to, because we do belong to groups. We don't have to renounce that identification. But it does mean according others a place in our world, referring all things to Christ, of course. Again, in saying this, I'm not saying that everyone's opinions are of equal merit, but each person has to be loved. And this will undoubtedly mean suffering for us as Christians. There's no doubt about it. But it is also our opportunity to make Christ present in a world where he's so often ignored or mischaracterized. We can make Christ present in a new and more convincing light. He who forgave his executioners and his betrayers, who rose from the dead and came to proclaim peace to the apostles who had all run away from him. Peace to those far off. Peace and love to those who would hear of him through his apostles and through us. Let us gaze today upon the face of Jesus, that we may learn again how to see Christ in every face we see, even in our enemies, that Christ's peace may reign in our hearts.